0: Thanks, Mike. That is a great opportunity for us to just celebrate God's goodness and His grace and uh, just an opportunity to remind ourselves of how good God is, especially after the week that we've just had. Um, Like all of you, I've been watching the footage, watching the images coming from Maui and just so heartbroken over what's happening there. And then on Friday, uh, we had a family of Lahaina refugees come and stay in our house and got to hear some on-the-ground stories of what they experienced in Lahaina, and it was just horrific. Um, the, the things that they saw will haunt them for the rest of their lives. And we have thousands of people who have lost loved ones and are dealing with that loss, but even the ones who've uh, maybe even kept their home and kept their business, they've seen and experienced things that are going to be just with them forever. And so the physical needs on Maui... They're slowly being met, not fast enough, but government agencies and agencies like Samaritan's Purse are slowly getting the physical needs of food and shelter met. But the thing is, the emotional and relational and spiritual needs are going to last for years. And so that's why we've been working the last few days to build a partnership of churches across the islands and a couple strategic local churches there on Maui, and then an organization called Reach Global Crisis Response that works around the world in events like this. I was on Zoom calls the last couple days with a guy who's still on the ground in Paradise, California. Uh, That's another city that was completely destroyed by fire five years ago. And he's still there ministering. And so we're trying to build a a, a long-term strategy for ministry there on Maui. Because there's a lot of organizations pouring into Maui right now doing great work. But the thing is, most of them are going to be gone in about 12 months. That's just the way they're funded. That's the way they operate. they got to get on the ground, meet the immediate needs, and then they got to move to the next crisis. And so there's going to be a lot of needs in the months and years to come. And so we want to provide long-term physical, emotional, and spiritual assistance to people who are going to be dealing with this, maybe even displaced, for many years. And you can support this ministry financially. There's details in the bulletin on how to do that. Because our vision here at Harbor Church is to be a place of refuge physical, literal refuge for folks on Maui and also folks who are seeking spiritual refuge. We, we want to be a place of refuge, redemption, and resurgence because that's what a harbor is supposed to be. When we first planted this church in 2005, we called ourselves Harbor Church. And uh, it was only slightly because we were meeting next to a harbor. Uh, when we started out, we were in this space, this epic space overlooking Coco Marina, And uh, we had this big window right to the side that overlooked the water and the mountains. And it was just amazing to look out at. The problem was, when I would be preaching, everybody would be like pretending like they're paying attention to me while their eyes are kind of watching the boats dragging the tourists around on the banana boats and tourists getting flung off and cartwheeling across the water. And so the, the view and the beauty and all the activity out there was just too distracting. We had to move. And so we... We, we got out of that harbor because, above all of that, we didn't just want to call ourselves harbor because we were next to a harbor, but because we wanted to be a harbor. We wanted to be a place of refuge, where boats can come in and take shelter from the stormy seas. That's what a harbor is all about. A harbor is also a place of redemption, where boats are fixed up, you scrape off the barnacles, you, you fix the dings, you polish the chrome, you make them new. But then a harbor is also a place for boats to be sent out. A harbor is not a place for boats to just come and stay. If all the boats come to a harbor and just never leave the harbor, that's a terrible harbor. Terrible. And so a harbor also exists to be a place of resurgence, equipping small little boats to go out and cross big oceans. Those are the three main functions of a harbor, and those are the three main functions of our church. God made us to be a place of refuge. God made us to be a place of redemption. God made us to be a place of resurgence, all for the sake of God's renown. So let's pray once again for God to accomplish that, even today through his word. Father, thank you for the refuge that we've found in you. In all those songs that we've been singing this morning, we've just celebrated the refuge that we have in Jesus Christ. When rains come, winds blow, our house is strong because we have you. We've seen how temporary the things of this world are, how things can be snatched away with no warning in a matter of 30 seconds. We're so grateful to have you as our rock. Now, Lord, through your word, empower us to extend that refuge to the people around us. Show us how we can build refuge for the people in our lives, our families, our workplaces, and the people we meet right here at church. Thank you for the refuge we have in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bible, open to Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to see in Matthew 5 how God has made us to be a community of refuge, a place where we can pursue refuge, but then also provide refuge. God wants us to pursue fellowship and community and refuge in him. But then once we've experienced it, he wants us to provide it to the people around us. And here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to teach us how to do that. How to create a place of refuge in our families, in our friend groups, in our workplaces, in our classrooms here in this church. So here's how you do it, family. Here's how you build a place of refuge wherever you're at in life, whatever context you're in. Number one, seek to be faithful. That's what we're going to see in a minute. Seek to be faithful. That's a really simple way to provide refuge for the people around you because most people in this world aren't faithful. Most people are pretty unreliable. They say one thing, but they mean something a little different. They say one thing, but they do something way different. And so when you're completely consistent, what you say is who you are, what you say is what you do, then people automatically feel safe around you. That's what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew 5. Look at what he says in verse 33. Matthew 5, 33, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. He's taking that straight from Leviticus 19, you shall not swear falsely to the Lord. And people in Jesus' day would take that and they would be like, yeah, you shall not swear falsely to the Lord, but if you swear to anything else, then, then that promise is optional. If you swear on heaven or on the earth or on Jerusalem or on your head, then you don't have to follow through on what you said. That's an optional promise. And that sounds silly to think that way, but we are really skilled at figuring out silly ways to not do what we don't want to do, right? We're very good at that. Like when I was in high school, my friend told me that all of the stop signs with white borders are optional. And I was like, man, I don't remember that from Driver's Ed, but y'all yeah, just go with that, because who wants to stop at stop signs, right? So I drove around, just kind of cruising through the stop signs with white borders, and I didn't notice that every stop sign has a white border until I got pulled over a couple of days later. And I'm like, but, but, officer, it, it had a white border, and he's just like, "Are you an idiot?" Hands me the ticket and drives off. We are so good at figuring out dumb ways to get out of the things we don't want to do. And so Jesus's day in Jesus' day, people would make these optional promises by heaven or by Jerusalem or by the earth, and then they would break their promise, and they would be like, well, I wasn't swearing by the Lord. You heard me. I swore on my own head, and so you should have known that I might not do what I, what I said I was going to do. They're trying to make loopholes for lying. Is what it was we still do that why do we lie why do we do stuff like that well sometimes it's because we want to avoid conflict right somebody asks you to do something and maybe you say you're gonna do it even though you know you're probably not gonna do it because avoiding conflict is way more important than than telling the truth sometimes you lie because you want to protect your reputation Your boss asks if you sent that contract to the client, and you're like, oh, yeah, 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 send it out. And then as soon as the boss leaves your desk, you real quick send out the contract to the client because you've got to protect that reputation. Sometimes you lie because you just want to make life more comfortable. If you fudge a few numbers on your tax return, then you can make a few more dollars on your refund, which will allow you to buy that thing that you were really hoping to buy we've got kind of a shaky relationship with the truth. We say one thing and we do the opposite. And so that's why Jesus says in verse 34, I know that's your pattern, I know that's your tendency, but I tell you, don't take an oath at all. Either by heaven, because it's God's throne, or by the earth, because it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black. In other words, you can't change anything by lying. You can't make your hair white or black. Yeah, you can try and dye it. You can dye it black, but what's going to happen? It's just going to grow out. You can't keep it black, and you can't keep a lie going for very long. And so Jesus says instead. Verse 37, let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Jesus says, let your yes be yes. Don't do the juke and spin yes, where you say yes on the outside, but you really are thinking no on the inside. Yeah, I'll do that, but you know, nah, I probably won't. Think of all the times that people flaked out on you. How did that make you feel? Don't do the half-hearted yes, where you say yes with your mouth, but no with your heart. And so you might do what you said you were going to do, but you do it just half heartedly. Don't do the last minute yes. That's what everybody does now, right? It used to be that we had FOMO, fear of missing out. Now we've all got FOBO, fear of better options. And so we wait to say yes to anything until we're absolutely sure that there's no better options that might come along. Don't do that. Don't do that. Be faithful. Be a place of refuge that people can depend on. And then number two, seek to be merciful. Be merciful, which I know that's not our natural state of being. I mean, when we fail other people, we want mercy from them. But when they fail us, what do we want? We want revenge. We want payback. We want justice. We know what's right and wrong, and we're going to fight for what's right when we've been wronged, then we want revenge. And so look at what Jesus says in verse 38. He says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Because that's what the law of Moses said. And I know when you read that today, it sounds terrible. You're like, yeah, so if I throw a football and it hits you in the eye, you're going to come poke out my eye? Really? That sounds barbaric. It sounds barbaric to us, but it was actually a big improvement over what most people did in those days. In those days, it was like, hey, if you steal my cow, I'm going to go steal your whole herd. You hurt my daughter, I'll kill your whole family. That's what people did back then. It was just this never-ending cycle of vengeance. And so the Old Testament law actually put a ceiling on revenge. It was about equal justice, blind justice. doesn't matter what your race, color, or creed is. You're just going to get what you deserve. And then... Jesus takes it a step further. You're thinking eye for eye, but verse 39, I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Now, just think about, think about being slapped on your cheek. There's something that's just not right about a man being slapped by another man, which is what Jesus is talking about here. That just doesn't happen, except at the Oscars, right? That's the only place where that happens. And when we saw that, all of us were like, oh, that's just not right. That's just not right. Now, what if he had just gone and just punched him, just a quick right jab? We would have said, oh, okay, you know, brother just has, to, just has to defend his wife's honor. We would have said that, but a slap, we know that's not right because a slap you're not just bruising a guy's face. You're bruising his ego. You're bruising his pride. And we feel that all the time. We feel slapped all the time. Like when you find out that people have been gossiping about you and then it gets back to you, that feels like a slap. When you get blamed by your family for something that wasn't your fault, that feels like a slap. When your coworker makes a snarky comment about you in front of the boss, in front of the whole team, you feel like you just got slapped. And when you experience that, then you automatically go into fight or flight mode. That's just hardwired into us as humans. And actually, what they found is all mammals experience fight or flight mode. We just go into it. If you choose flight which is what a lot of people do then you'll try and escape from the situation you'll just start working from home more or you'll stop hanging out with that friend group or you'll start ghosting your family you'll just you just escape but then if you choose fight mode then you'll start looking for revenge and it's amazing how much creativity we can find in ourselves that we never knew was there when we're looking for revenge You'd be like, man, my husband just ticked me off so much today. So I'm going to go buy 12 more throw pillows for the bed. That's going to teach him, man. He'll know exactly what he did to me after that. We find so many creative ways to express our revenge because we think we've only got two options retreat or revenge. But Jesus has given us a third option here radical mercy willingly sticking your other cheek out for them to take another swing. Crazy. What you're doing there is you're making it really clear that you love that person way too much to either walk away or to retaliate. What you're doing is forcing them to see their own sin, but you're also offering an opportunity for reconciliation in the relationship. This is so counterintuitive, right? This is not the way we operate. But now Jesus is going to raise the stakes even more. Look at what he says in verse 40. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Family, this is some extreme mercy that we're talking about here. Extreme generosity that we're talking about. 100 years ago, 150 years ago, there would have used a word for this. It would be the word prodigal. And I know today we only use that word when we're talking about the story of the prodigal son, but the definition of prodigal isn't what we think it is. It's not being rebellious. If you look in the dictionary, the definition is actually to be recklessly spendthrift. That's what it means to be prodigal. It means to give and to spend until you've got nothing left. And so in the parable of the prodigal son, It was actually the father who was being prodigal. He gave money to his son, half the inheritance that his son didn't deserve. And then when his son spent all the money, then his father gave forgiveness that he didn't deserve. He threw him a party that he didn't deserve. He slaughtered a fattened calf that he didn't deserve. The father in that story was just scandalously generous. That's what it means to be prodigal, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. So here's how you build a place of refuge. Number three, seek to be prodigal. Like the father in this story, seek to be radically generous. Jesus says, if somebody wants to sue you and take away your shirt, ah, let them have your coat too. Because if you give your shirt away when a judge demands it, that's just compliance right there. You're just complying with justice and the law. If you go above that and give away your coat, Nobody ever asked you for your coat. Nobody demanded that. It's the only thing that's going to keep you warm at night when you're out on the road. That's not just compliance anymore. That's craziness. That's radical generosity. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Because that's what Jews were required to do back in those days by the Roman soldiers. If a Roman soldier was walking down a road and he had a pack on and he saw you then he could force you to carry his pack for him, but only for one mile, only one mile. That was the law. Jesus probably had to do this many times because he was on the road all the time. So you're legally required to walk a mile with that pack on you, and Jesus is like, hey, why not do double what's required? Just do double, which is crazy. If you were to carry a heavy, heavy pack for your friend, that would be carrying. Carry that pack two miles for your enemy? That's craziness. Nobody does that. That's scandalous. That's why Jesus says, give to the one who asks you, to everyone who asks you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Give to everyone who asks you. If you give to your friends whenever they ask you, that's caring. That's kind. Give to everyone who asks you that's crazy. Walk around downtown Honolulu for like an hour. You'll be out of money completely if you just give to everybody who asks you. On top of that, you'll probably be doing more damage than good. You'll be hurting a lot of folks more than you're helping them. And so I think it's clear that these aren't literal commands that Jesus is giving us here. These aren't specific things that we're supposed to follow by the letter. This is a radical call to be scandalously generous in all of life, to be prodigal, and that's how you build a place of refuge, and that's what we want to build as a church. That's why we're encouraging you to give towards the Maui Relief Fund, because those folks in Lahaina, they need food and shelter right now, but six months from now, they're going to need professional counseling. After a crisis like this, usually at about the six-month mark, there is a big spike in the suicide rate in the area of a crisis. Six months from now, they're going to need legal assistance with all of the FEMA forms and small business administration forms that they got to do. They're going to have no idea how to do all of this. When you've been through a crisis like this, your brain function goes at about 50% of normal. You just can't figure out stuff that you could figure out six months ago. They're going to need so much help, and so we want to serve them long-term and hopefully along the way get lots of opportunities to display and proclaim the gospel. We want to help our partner churches on Maui create a place of refuge there. We also want to create a place of refuge right here in Kaka'ako. That's why we offer free breakfast to our needy neighbors here in this neighborhood. That's why we offer outdoor movie nights for the kids in this neighborhood. That's why we offer block parties like we've got coming up this week for the adults in our neighborhood. Because God has been scandalously generous to us, giving us his one and only son as a sacrifice for us. And so we just want to be scandalously generous to the people around us. As a church and as individuals. In your family, in your friend group, with your coworkers, with your classmates. How are you going to be prodigal? Seek to be prodigal. And then number four, seek to be forbearing forbearing. That's another great biblical word that nobody uses anymore. I really wish we did. All it means is forgiving in advance. Forgiving in advance. Such a beautiful concept. Family, we would avoid so much drama if we could just learn to expect that people are going to sin against us and decide to forgive them before it even happens. How incredible would that be? That's so counterintuitive because we believe what Jesus says in verse 43. This is us. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Yet that's how we naturally operate. That's how we want to respond when people come against us. If you love me, I'll love you back. But if you hate me, if you come against me, oh, you better watch out. Uh, Even if I just hear you don't like me. You don't even have to do anything against me. If I hear you don't like me, I I guess I can't like you either. It's middle school rules, but we still play by those rules, even as adults. We're all just middle schoolers with wrinkles, is all that we are. We say love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but verse 44, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemy." Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Yet God blesses his enemies. Why can't you? For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same even the worst sinners in the world are loyal to the people who are loyal to them you're supposed to be different from them so verse 48 be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect be perfectly forgiving be perfectly forbearing just like your heavenly father because you want to see the people around you come under his goodness and grace and blessing just like you have even if it takes a little longer than you expected. Like 20 years ago, when Cindy and I moved into our first house in Kailua, 20, 22 years ago, it's moving day. I drive in with a U-Haul, and uh, the space in front of our house isn't long enough to fit the U-Haul, and so I had to overhang my neighbor's driveway by about 18 inches, but it seemed like he could still get out, no problem. So I, I park it, I turn off the engine, I circle around, to open the back door. And before I can even roll up the door, the next door neighbor is running out of his house screaming at me. Who do you think you are? What do you think you're doing? What are you trying to do? I'm like, ah, uh, hi, I'm, I'm your new neighbor, Matt. <laughs> and uh, we're just moving in here. I, I tried to turn on the charm. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I know we're we're blocking your driveway a little bit, but could we just unload real quick and then, and then we'll move it? That made him even more mad. He just screamed at me some more. And that's what our relationship was like for the next four years. Complaining about every little thing. We tried to be merciful and forbearing and generous, but nothing changed. He was always complaining about something. He had just decided that day that he hated us. It was hate at first sight. And so that's what it was like for four years. It's easy to love your neighbor when your neighbor is nice to you, right? That's pretty easy. It's a little harder when your neighbor is your enemy. But Jesus says, love your enemy. Paul says in Romans 12 if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. And so after we read that, we're like, all right, I guess that's what we got to do. At least once a month, Cindy would take cookies over to our neighbor. Whenever I was doing yard work, I would go over and try and sweep his front sidewalk too, just do whatever we could, but nothing ever made a difference. Until one day, four years later, I'm out in front mowing my lawn. He's out front unloading his car and I see him start walking over to the little, little half fence between our two yards. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> what is he going to complain about now? So I turn off the mower. I walk over. I'm already flinching, <laughs> already getting ready to take a beating. And when I get to the fence, he sticks out his hand, and he says, hi, my name's Kevin. I think we need to start over. It's nice to meet you. And I stick out my hand and I say, it is nice to meet you. It took four years. Four years of trying to be a place of refuge. Because everybody needs refuge. Everybody. If you don't have it, you can find refuge in our community groups. We've got groups all over the island. There's info cards out in the lobby. Just go find one that that's in your neighborhood or that matches your schedule, find a group and get in it, okay? You're going to find refuge there. And then once you're in one, don't just look for the ways that you can pursue refuge. Look for ways that you can provide refuge to the people in that group, to the people in our church, to your family, to your friends, to your classmates, to your coworkers. Last week, we made a commitment to seek one more, to pray for God to bring one more person into his family, through us hopefully you have your one more on that card you have their name written there and posted in a place where you'll remember to look at it and and hopefully that's reminding you to pray for your one more regularly hopefully you're looking for ways to provide refuge for your one more hopefully you're looking for opportunities to connect your one more to your church family to jesus and to his body this saturday we've got the kakaako block party That's a perfect opportunity to connect your one more to your church family. And then the very next morning, next Sunday, we have a special guest preacher who's going to be rocking Harbor Church. It's my good friend, Ryan Kwan, from Resonate Church, the Resonate Movement of Churches in the Bay Area. He's just a dynamic, great speaker who loves Jesus so much and is going to introduce all of us to the ways that Jesus redeems us and transforms us no matter what we're going through in life. Family, you have so many opportunities to build a place of refuge for the people that God's put in your life. So many opportunities. How are you going to do that this week? How are you going to pursue refuge? How are you going to provide refuge this week? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the refuge that you have provided for us. We've seen storms. We've seen rain and wind come in many different ways in our lives. We've created many of those storms in our lives. And still, you welcome us into your family. Welcome us into your home. Welcome us into your throne room as children of the King. Thank you for the refuge that we have in Jesus. Now, Lord, help us to find ways to extend that refuge to the people that you've put in our lives. Thank you for what we have in Jesus. We just want so many more people to have the same thing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.